This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Well, today I have the the honor and privilege of introducing our guest speaker, but he's not really a guest. Bishop Harvey is a an incredible leader, national leader, pastored an amazing church in Milwaukee for multiple decades, and but he's also an advisory elder here at, at Emmanuel. In our governmental structure for our bylaws, we have what are called advisory elders, which are elders outside of Emmanuel that help me, support me, and are also uh, are, are a help to our board at the church. And Bishop Harvey reads our newsletters. He knows what's going on. I send him updates and along with the other advisory elders. And so he's actually one of us. So today he's not a guest speaker. He's speaking to the house, and he's a part of the house. Would you give it up for Bishop Harvey today? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. So good to be with you, Emmanuel, this, this morning. Um, I feel like I am at home today. And uh, I brought a little bit of home with me. I brought the the woman who makes my house a home. Uh, She's been my girlfriend for the last 42 years and and been my wife for the last 36. So guys, just take a clue, I'm still dating her. Uh, Just as beautiful today as she was then. My wife, Judy, is with me today. I also want to give you all a glimpse into my my home. Um, I just received an invitation from our local newspaper back in Milwaukee to be a part of an Easter story. I got an email from the religious section editor uh, inviting me to contribute to an article about Easter food traditions. And she first of all asked me if I cooked and if I could talk about some of the meals that I prepared at Easter. Sadly, I had to inform her that I don't cook for health reasons. Uh, not for my health, but for the health of other people. My wife's a tremendous cook, but I said, you know, I could tell you a story about my mother's uh, Easter tradition. In fact, not just on Easter, but my mother had a tremendous gift of hospitality. And at 19, age 19, I gave my life to Christ, and uh, my mother, she began forming me Uh, with that same sense of hospitality and a love for God, but she did something very intentional. She would invite various families to our home on Sunday after church, and she'd bring out the finest china, and she'd prepare these these just immaculate meals. I mean, just four-course meals. I won't tell you everything that she made because you might get hungry and that I won't have your intention anymore. That was a tradition. And I'm sure many of you have traditions of what you do on Sunday after church and what you do for holidays uh, and how that entails food and family and faith and fun. But the reality is that even churches have traditions. Traditions on how we baptize. Do we immerse or do we sprinkle? Who gets baptized? What age do you have to be when you're baptized? We have traditions in terms of a communion. When do we observe communion? How do we observe communion? Do we use the plastic cups with the wafer on top, or do we actually do the crackers and the juice or the wine? We have traditions in terms of when we worship. Do we worship on Sunday? How long do we worship? What songs do we sing within the context of our worship rhythm? 
All of these things are traditions. And for people who are visiting or who are strangers from the outside coming in, they're often uncomfortable trying to navigate and figure out our traditions. When do I sit? When do I stand? How do I dress? What time do I come? When will I be dismissed? And traditions are not a bad thing. Unless our traditions take more priority and precedence over the Word of God. And the Lord wants us to always keep in mind that truth trumps tradition. Truth is more important than tradition. If we don't get this, uh, this fact right, traditions can become like fences. And the fences are designed to keep something in and to keep other folks on the outside. And we're in a society in which, for the last several years, there has been this great debate as to which lives matter, and who matters, and which careers, and which callings matter. And depending on how you answer that question could determine on which side of the fence you're on. We just came through one of the most heated, debated uh, political elections in the history of our nation. Fences. And I believe that as the church, the Lord does not want us to put this sign up on the fence. Because this sign says, if you're not on our side, keep out. God is not a God of fences. What matters is the minimum. I believe that John 1 and 14 tells us and demonstrates that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus came to be with us in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our crisis. He never approached a problem from a distance. He always wanted to be with people. And so the Lord answered a long time ago, who matters? And certainly he, he declares we're made in his image and therefore all lives matter to him. But can I just say as a black man that unless black lives matter, all lives don't matter. And I know that Emmanuel has already stepped into that conversation and let the world know and let the people in this city know that you matter to God and you matter to us. You are loved. You are safe. It's not a statement about supporting an, or an organization. It's a statement about standing upon the truth of God's word. Amen. Traditions can become fences whereby we keep people out. Keep them out of our lives. Keep them out of our churches. Keep them out of our traditions. Even keep them out of the kingdom of God. That's why our text this morning is so important for us to grasp. I want you to, to read and look along with me in Matthew chapter 15. Beginning at verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied in verse 3, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? I love Jesus. I, I love how he doesn't just answer their question, but he follows their question with the question. Here's Jesus taking his disciples to this place to teach them an important lesson. And when he, when he gets to this place, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they throw up tradition at Jesus. They throw up a tradition that had been added to the law that God had gave to Moses and that law going all the way back to Exodus was that the priests of Aaron and his family that they had to wash their hands, they had to wash their clothes, they had to wash the various uh, artifacts of worship. But the teachers of the law had added to the law of God 
various traditions that you have to wash your hands before you eat. Now, now I think that's not necessarily a good tradition. I think that's a good practice, <laughs> especially if you're going to be cooking my food. Please wash your hands. Traditions are not a bad thing unless they become fences. And then sometimes the fences can become defenses. And the defenses tell us, not only do you have to keep out, but if you come in on the other side, my defenses are coming up. In fact, I saw one sign that says, trespassers will be shot and survivors will be shot again. I'm talk you're talking about defenses. I am protecting my territory. I am on the defense on the inside of my fence. I'm protecting my personal property. And, and for God, he's not a God of fences. And so Jesus answers their question with the question, why do you violate the truth of God for the sake of your tradition? What he was talking about is picked up in verse 4 of Matthew 15. For God said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. What Jesus was, was focusing on is that these teachers of the law had taken a sacred command, the fifth commandment of the ten, honor your mother and father. Now, my father was not a believer uh, most of my life, but my father had his own commandments. He didn't necessarily quote this scripture honor your mother and father. My father's translation was, I brought you into this world and I can take you out, so you better honor me. <laughs> I, I got that. I got that. I don't know where that's chapter or verse, but it, I didn't have to be a rocket science. To, I knew I need to honor my dad. But Jesus was pointing out, to the, pointing out the fact that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had added their own tradition and in a way to protect their personal assets and to protect their finances and their personal property, that if they said that this, this bank account is devoted to God, they therefore felt that they did not have to take from those resources to take care of their mother and father. And so Jesus is saying, you are violating the command, the word of God, the truth by your traditions. And so he says, you are hypocrites. Isaiah described you as people who honor God with your lips, you're giving God lip service, but your heart's in a totally different place. Some of you, like me, are old enough to remember the group Millie Vanilli. Yeah, you're old like me if you, if you said, yeah, I remember them. Now, for those of you who are less than 50 years of age, let me tell you about Millie Vanilli. They were a male singing hip-hop duo that won a Grammy Award for several songs. They hit the top of the chart. I mean, they had all the exterior things that you would want from a hip-hop group. They had the looks, they had the long hair, they had the hip clothes, they had the dance moves, they had the beat, they had the song. But what they didn't have were voices because there was somebody behind the curtain who was singing for them. And they were simply lip-syncing. 
And that's what Jesus is saying that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were doing. They were lip syncing. You're telling God that you honor him with your lips, but your heart's in a totally different place. Traditions are not bad, but we need to ask ourselves the question, how do our traditions impact relationships? Jesus wanted the, wanted the disciples and everyone else to know that this tradition of, of devoting your finances to God, how does that impact your, your relationship to God vertically and your relationship to one another? It's more important, Jesus wanted his disciples to know, it's more important what happens on the inside of your heart than your external expressions. In fact, in verse 10, he called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand this. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. It's not what you eat. It, it, it's not what goes on the inside, but it's what comes out. It's, it's not your external expressions of faith, baptism, communion, A and B selection, choir, praise team. It's not all the stuff that happens on the outside that's more important. It's what happens on the inside. It's what happens in your heart. It's, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the seat of your actions. And, and what happened is in verse 12, the disciples came to him and said, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Our traditions become fences that determine who's in or out. The fences can become defenses whereby we stand behind them and we lob grenades and we shoot at those who are on the other side of the fence to keep them out. But if we're not careful, the fences and defenses can also become offenses. Beware of dogs, because sometimes the dogs bite. I saw a sign not too long ago that said, invisible fence, but beware, the dog can bite. Offenses are just like that. They're invisible. You don't even know that you've stepped into a landmine. If it's an invisible fence, you don't know that you've moved into the territory of the dog that can bite you. Sometimes you can offend people without even knowing that you've done it. And I don't think Jesus cared. I think he knew he was offending the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And the, and the, and the disciples said, Lord, don't you know? You've just offended them. Sometimes those of us who have traditions, we get offended because people don't honor our traditions. Don't they know they shouldn't dress like that when they come into the house of the Lord? Don't they know our tradition? No, they didn't know. And so we're offended because they violated our fences. But sometimes the Lord will offend your mind to reveal what's in your heart. Truth will offend you, but will also set you free. John 8.32 says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand the lesson. And I believe this is, this is so critical for us at Emmanuel in this particular season. When the eyes of the world and the eyes of the nation are once again upon our city, that we have an opportunity to be a house of prayer for all nations. Where we, have, where we live not just within the walls of the church, but in our everyday lives, we live out the fact that God is not a God of fences. That he has called us to tear down fences. He's called us to come out from behind our defenses. He's called us to remove offense. And if we've offended anybody, 
to, to seek their forgiveness, to, to live out the fact that truth trumps tradition and that relationship triumphs over rules. And Jesus knew he only had three and a half years to teach this to his disciples. The, the disciples were his plan A. They were the church that were going to carry this message to the four corners of the world. And you and I are here today as an extension of that church, that we're still living out the gospel and the world will look through us like a window to get to see Jesus. When they look through us, I hope they don't see fences. I hope they're not offended. I hope they don't feel like we're throwing up defenses to keep them out, that, that, that we're known more for who we are against than who we are for. So they would have to learn how to overcome their prejudices. Now, it's important for us to understand that, that every one of us has prejudice. I just confess to you right now, I'm prejudiced that the Packers will probably win a Super Bowl before the Vikings will. I'm just prejudiced that way. <laughs> prejudice is how you feel. Prejudice has nothing to do with action. Discrimination has to deal with action. Because discrimination is taking your prejudice and then applying it to certain actions. Maybe that action is, is, is discriminatory in the form of violence or it's discriminatory in the form of not hiring or it's discriminatory in, a, in another form, but it's an action. But then racism is totally different. Racism is taking prejudice along with discrimination and it's providing, it's, it's, it's providing a platform for a collective prejudice that's based on legal authority and institutional control. It's not about an individual when it gets to the level of racism, but it's now about structure. And this is where the church exists, to tear down and to demolish strongholds and structures. And every one of us at Emmanuel, we have the job of tearing down fences, coming out from behind our, def our defenses and minimizing offenses. So in order to teach his disciples this lesson, Jesus had to take them to some unfamiliar ground. He had to take them out of their comfort zone because you and I, just like the disciples, we will never learn to embrace another culture unless we step out of our own. And so what Jesus did is that he took them to a new region. He took them to the north side, if you will. <laughs> Imagine the Lord pulling up a bus at, at the front of the entrance and say, okay, everybody on, we're going to take a tour. We're going to North Minneapolis. I'm going to get you out of your comfort zone. We're going to walk this, wait a minute, Lord, wait, I didn't, I didn't sign up for all of that. But the Lord's like, wait, I, I need you to be my disciple. I need you to be salt and light. I need you to be leaven in the midst of the world. And I need you to overcome your prejudice. I can't have you walking in discrimination. I need you to tear down fences. So he took them to North Minneapolis, well, not really North Minneapolis, but he, took, he did take them to North Judah. And in verse 21 of Matthew 15, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Let me just put a, a comma right there. In this region, it was heavily populated by Canaanites. The Canaanites were the black people of the Middle East. When, when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and Joshua led them from the promised land into the land of Canaan. That was like North Minneapolis. <laughs> that was the black Middle East. And the Canaanites and the Jews had a long history of war. They had a long history of, of dispute. 
But Jesus took them to that place to teach the disciples that he's not a God of fences. And in verse 22, they encounter a Canaanite woman from that vicinity. She came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. My daughter is demon-possessed. You know, I, I'm, I'm a man, but I, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to be a mother and to have a child that is in pain. We, your mothers know what I'm talking about? Any, any mothers in here who will catch a case if somebody mess with your baby? Any mothers in here who will start a prison ministry if you have to, if somebody violates your baby? I just don't care. You touch my baby, you touch my grandbabies, you, you've touched the mother bear, okay? Now you got to deal with me. That's the way this woman felt. She came to Jesus saying, Lord, help my baby. She's possessed by a demon. But Jesus does something that is so seemingly uncharacteristic to a God who's not a God of fences. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. He's silent. In other words, he's ignoring her. Wait a minute, I thought you said he's a God who doesn't have fences. Why is he ignoring this woman? I believe that Jesus was not ignoring her to deny her, but he wanted to teach the disciples how to tear down fences, how to come from behind their defenses, how to minimize offense, but he also wanted to teach the woman how to build her faith so that she would not allow the fences that we have created to keep her out of the kingdom, but to build her faith muscles up so that she could scale any fence and get to the place and get to the God of miracles and the God of deliverance. He ignored her and seemingly putting up a barrier, but it wasn't really a barrier. It was a builder to build and strengthen her faith. And even though he ignored her, the woman was persistent. She kept on asking. That's what the scripture tells us to do. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be opened unto you. Somebody here this morning needs to build their faith. And what seems like a barrier to you right now, God is simply allowing that as a temporary delay to strengthen your faith muscles. This woman was determined. You, the devil is messing with my child. And I don't care if you seem to ignore me. I am not going to allow that to be a barrier. I'm going to hurdle it by faith to get my deliverance. In verse 23, the disciples noticed her. I'm going to talk about the disciples. Because the disciples represent you and I. The disciples were literally Jesus' designated gatekeepers. We are the ones who tell people, keep out. We are the ones who tell people, now if you get any closer, I'm going to shoot you. We are the ones who literally bite people and snap at them when they come on the other side of the invisible fence. The disciples noticed the woman and they said, Lord, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. Really? They weren't crying out after the disciples. They were, she was crying out after Jesus. We are the one that have created offense. We've misrepresented the Lord in the society today. And today God is saying, I want to tear, out, tear down the fences. It's sad, but it's true that there are a lot of people today that are dealing with church hurt. There are a lot of people that have been offended and, and feel rejected and feel that their life doesn't matter and they're not loved because we are his hands and his feet and his voice in the midst of the earth. And if you're here this morning or if you're watching online, if you've been offended, I, I, I just ask you, forgive me, forgive us. 
Because we're just merely humans. We're flesh and blood, and we're all susceptible to misrepresent God. But I'm telling you that God is big enough and bad enough and bold enough to represent himself. And he's proclaiming and declaring today that he's a God who tears down fences. But I implore you to use that mustard seed of faith, not to give up, but to hurdle every obstacle. She's crying out after us. <laughs> I want you to just take this test with me today. I'll call it the OQ test, kind of like an IQ test, which is an intelligence quotient. But the OQ test is an offense quotient. What is your level of offendability? For some of us, we're already at that place where Jesus is, where we're just simply hard to offend. You know, Jesus is hard to offend. There is no mountain high enough that he won't climb. There's no valley low enough he won't go down. There's no wall that he won't tear down coming after me, right? He is just, he is unconditional. There's, there's no sin great enough that he still won't love you. He's hard to offend. That's where we want to be. I cannot just confess I'm not there yet. I'm at this next level. I'm, I'm moderate in my OQ. And that means that you get three strikes. I'm not at the 70 times seven that Jesus says, you know, you got, I'm, I'm three, okay? And you already got two, okay? So the next one, you on the out. <laughs> As moderate. But truth be known, some of us are at that place where we're easily offended. And then some of us are even worse than that. I'm already don't like you, so, you know, I was already looking for an excuse to put you out. What's your OQ? The challenge for us to be is to be like Jesus and to be like, like this woman, this Canaanite woman was. She, she reminds me of those, those old black peaceful protests. Those protesters who would sing that song, I ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. I ain't going to let nobody turn me around, turn me around. I'm going to keep on walking, keep on talking, walking up the king's highway. You put a fence in front of me, I'm not going to let you turn me around. You tell me I'm not good enough, I'm not going to let you turn me around. I'm going to overcome my offense. I'm going to climb the fence. I don't care if you throw the bombs at me in a posture of defense. I'm not going to miss this transformation. Because I've been offended. And there are many people that miss their miracle because they are bearing offense. You got to keep on knocking until the door is open to you. Jesus ignores the woman. And then in verse 24, he informs the woman. He said, listen, woman, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, Jesus is informing this woman that you're really not my priority. In the, in the pecking order of precedence, I'm sent first of all to the Jews, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and then later to the Gentiles. As Paul said, you know, this gospel is to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. It's a priority. It's a precedence. And Jesus lets this woman know that, that you're not the precedent. You're not the priority. You're, you're valued by God, but, but he had an order to come to the Jews first so that we would be, they would be salt and light to all nations. And yet the woman still climbed that, that fence by her persistence. In verse 25, she came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me, she said. She refused to be offended. He insulted her. He ignored her. 
He informed her. And then, if that wasn't enough, he called the woman a dog. He said in verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, most of us would have threw our hands up or put on some boxing gloves and say, okay, it's on now, Jesus. You didn't just, you didn't just went over the line now. I could deal with the ignoring. I could deal with the informing. But now you've just called me a dog. And that's what the Jews called the Gentiles in that day. They called them dogs. They were on the outside of the love of God from the mindset of the Jew. And the word that they used to describe them was an outside scavenger dog, a wild dog, a dog without a home, a dog without an owner, a dog without a leash, a dog with fleas, a dog with diseases, a dog that would eat anything, any piece of garbage. It would even eat its own feces and its own vomit. That's what the Jews called the Gentiles. You are dogs. But Jesus did not use that word when he spoke to this woman. He used the word to describe a lap dog. You know, those little dogs that you carry on your airplane, in your arm. You put, on the, put in a little container and you take on the airplane with you. The little dog that sits you in your lap. The dog that eats out of your plate. You know, them kind of dogs that, you, that you, you, you put a bow in their hair and you put clothes on them and you let them lick you and kiss you in the face and, ooh, you know, you give them a name like Fifi and Poo Poo and Princess. They're about this big. They got a name. They got a bed. They got a house inside the house. Sometimes we treat these dogs better than we treat our own children. You know who you are. Jesus says, it's not right to give the children's bread to that type of dog. And this woman, a Canaanite who was used to being on the outside of the fence, her faith became even stronger. And she said in verse 27, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's saying, Lord, I belong on the inside with you. Jesus was affirming her. What seemed to be a barrier was really becoming a bridge, a bridge of faith, a bridge of inclusion, a bridge of welcome, a bridge of love, a bridge of relationship into the family of God. There are some people that are here and some people that are watching today, and you are outside of the family of God, maybe because somebody offended you. Maybe you're out there because somebody dropped you. Maybe you're out there because of your own choice and your own will. But the Lord is saying, listen, I got a name for you. I got a family for you. You're welcome into my heart. You're welcome into my presence. And Jesus rewards that kind of faith. Just the way he rewarded the woman's faith in verse 28. He says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. There's so many of us that have the seat, a seat at the table of God, but there's many others that are on the outside because they don't look like us. They don't vote like us. They don't live where we live. They don't think like us. They don't live like us. They don't worship like us. They don't have the same traditions that we do. God says none of that matters. It's not what happens on the outside, it's what happens on the inside. It's, what, it's the condition of your heart. And he's saying to us today, Emmanuel, I need you all to 
Get rid of the signs. Tear down the fence. Come out from behind the defense. Repent and remove the offense. And, and let's, in fact, let's turn this fence. If you, if you knock the fence down and turn it over, what was a barrier now becomes a bridge. People now can get to Jesus by walking on us. A bridge is no good unless it's walked on. This is the foundation of this church. It's the DNA of, of why we exist. We've been called to be a house of prayer for all nations. There's a core scripture that I want to close with. It's in Isaiah chapter 2. And I really felt that the Lord was saying this is, this is a prophetic moment for us as a people and as a church. As the world is focused on our city, Minneapolis today, God wants to turn violence into peace. He wants to turn weapons of destruction into weapons of life. Guns into garden tools. Fighters into farmers. And, and I get this from Isaiah 2 because in, in verse 2 it says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. That's the word ethnos. He will judge between the nations, ethnicities, and he will, he will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The Lord is saying we're in those days right now, Emmanuel. That the mountain of the Lord, the temple of God, we are that temple. We are that new Jerusalem. We are the city of Zion. And the world and the nations will stream to us. No more will there be war between nations. No more will there be black versus white and Asian and Hispanic and Native American jockeying for affirmation of who matters and, and whose lives are more important. God is going to settle all disputes. He's a God of peace. He's a God who's knocking down the fence in this season, in this hour, and, and we're going to embrace it. We're not going to miss it. We're, we're not training for war anymore. We're turning swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. That which was meant for destruction is now meant for life and for peace. That's our destiny. That's our DNA. That's our privilege. And there are some of you who even who are, who are here today or who are watching who have not yet even made peace with God. You've not just, like the woman, you've not entered into the family of God. Listen, the dividing wall has been torn down there too. The blood and the cross of Jesus Christ removes all excuses. Gives us all a freeway of access to the grace of God. God is turning fighters into farmers. This is a harvest season, Emmanuel. It's harvest season in Minneapolis right now. A harvest of souls. A harvest of life. A harvest of relationships. May God help us May God help us right now to be agents of change and agents of transformation. May God help us 
by the spirit of the sovereign God that's upon us and has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor, to give them beauty for ashes, to give them garments of praise and to take off the grave clothes of mourning, to give them joy where there is sadness, to open up prison doors for those who are captive and bound in sin. God, you've anointed us to be a house of prayer for all nations. May we be the bridge that people can walk on to get to you. To get to you. That's our prayer right now. That's our privilege. Pastor Nate, I want you to come. I want you to speak over us in this moment. Amen, amen, amen. Would you stand with me? In each of our locations, go ahead and stand up. There are moments when you can hear a pin drop on carpet. As God begins to speak to us, not of anger, of frustration, or finger pointing, but of transformation. There's a lot of pain and a lot of discord in relationships. We've been talking about in this series, Are We Okay? There's a lot of discord with groups of people outside of our, even our close friendships. And you saw it in the political aspect of our, our country and distrust in leadership and, and even lobbying back and forth with social media. But I believe that God can do a miracle in his house. The change isn't going to come from D.C., folks. It's going to come from the house of God. And the miracle of what God does inside of us inside of us and it hurts sometimes I love that that question that Bishop asked if what's your offendable quotient <laughs> and I have to admit I've got things that tick me off when I see it and I'm scrolling on social media or things that I hear about and it quickly comes up and if I can learn to recognize that thing and turn that thing over to Jesus Jesus may help me reach the very people I'm ticked off with. Jesus may do something in me that I can't do by myself, that my parents might not have taught me. And I believe that if we lean in, Jesus is doing a miracle in his house. All those miracles start with us surrendering to Jesus with our lives. The Bible says that Jesus came to the earth and he lived a sinless life and then he died on a cross for our sin. He did it for us, and that if we, and then he rose from the dead, and if we turn to him and we put our faith and trust in him, the Bible says he actually forgives or removes the sin and the penalty of sin and replaces it with his life. Instead of death, we get life. And so as you are hearing the gospel today, whether you're online or in one of our locations, as you are listening, God may have been speaking directly to you because you've been living in the penalty of death and you are hearing the good news of Jesus the Christ that sets the sinners free. And I would love to pray with you. So if you are hearing it and God is speaking to you and you know you need to give your life to Christ, I want you to do it right now. In fact, don't wait any longer. Don't push it off to tomorrow. Turn to Jesus today and you will know life and a new life today. In fact, if you just close your eyes wherever you are right now, I want to give an opportunity. If you are here and you, you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to come back to him and surrender to him and let him do the heart transplant in your life to give you new life. 
If that's you, I want to pray with you. Just put your hand up. Say, that's me, Pastor Nate. I need to turn to Jesus. I need to come back to him. I need to do it because God is speaking to me right now. Yeah, there's several hands in every location. I know God is speaking even online. Every single week we've been receiving responses. You can raise your hand online even now to respond to Jesus. And if you lifted your hand and you know that God is speaking to you, I want to give... I want to lead you to him. I'll give you words to pray, and then you can pray these words, but mean them from your heart. Don't be milly vanilly on the prayer. Pray it out to Jesus from your heart and believe that God will answer you. And so I'll give you words to pray, and you can repeat after me, and everybody else, you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You died on the cross for my sins and then you rose from the dead and today I believe in you and I surrender to you please forgive me of my sin and make me new I choose to follow you for the rest of my life in Jesus name amen 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 somebody give the Lord some praise in the house of God amen Amen. Listen, every single time even one sinner comes home, all of heaven has an absolute party. And so I will take time every time we gather together because this is the most important message of the kingdom of God. The good news is for everyone. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to stay in the journey to know the life of Jesus. And if you could just take your phone out and text the word Emmanuel to 313131. I'll send you a quick link that will give you hope on your next steps of following Jesus. One more time, would you give it up for all those that just raised their hand, prayed that prayer? You have no idea what God is doing in their life. Amen. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.